a special midweek episode of the Bitcoin Podcast. This is episode 189, and I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D. Host number three, Corey. Nice. Yeah. I like that. Everybody's listening to the dream. Yeah. In the falsetto. Maybe okay, I should just ahead. like sing the entire show. <laughs> Do a musical? Are we have we reached that to, point where we could do a musical episode? Today That's we're talking about the Light Noise Network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Announcing Coinbase Index Fund. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> this that. This is ridiculous. Let's let's do let's first first I think Cello pay the water bill. Cello wants to pay the water bill with something that we have. Yeah, we got a new sponsor um because it's March Madness time. And support for today's show comes from bookmaker.eu. They're the premier sports book servicing the U.S. for over 30 years. So, Corey, that makes them legit, right? 30 years? A little bit legit? Sports book service? 30 years? That's a, that's a long time to, like, be a sports book service. So they must be doing something right. Uh, like, that's what we figured. So they're taking all those years <laughs> of experience and they're, and, they're, and they're pivoting the crypto. So, uh, yeah, you can make your college basketball picks with Bitcoin today at uh, bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast. That's right. We have our own URL. So you can rest assured, dear listeners, depositing with Bitcoin is fast, easy, and simple. And over 90% of bettors use Bitcoin to fund their bookmaker accounts and receive their winnings. They offer live, in-progress betting on every major sporting event, which allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from tip off until the final whistle. And then bets are graded within seconds, and your winnings are credited to your account instantly. Withdrawals are free with same-day payouts in Bitcoin. Visit bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast today to sign up and claim your exclusive 100% welcome bonus. That's up to $300. That's bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast to claim your 100% welcome bonus when you make your first deposit in either Bitcoin or fiat currency. Hot damn. Um, and also, big news out of mycrypto.com uh, with the Shapeshift API news. So they're growing. And they are also our uh, very lovely sponsor, number two, an open source client side tool for generating Ether wallets, handling ERC20 tokens, and interacting with the Ethereum blockchain more easily. I don't really know if there's much more we can say about them, but they're, uh, they're fully transparent, compliant, and legitimate. And if you contact support at mycrypto.com, they'll answer you pretty quickly. They've been around since 2015, and they're focused on building awesome products that put the power in people's hands. Visit mycrypto.com or follow them on Twitter 
at my crypto. I got some. I got some extra shit you can say about my crypto. They uh they released their beta, uh the new beta of the website. You can go to beta.mycrypto.com and play with the way, the new way you're going to be interacting with the website, which in my opinion is way better than the previous version. Um, they have something mm-hmm. like you can. They have this uh thing where you can go to contracts. You can put a, the address or the ENS uh Ethereum name service name of a contract. And then put the JSON ABI, which is like kind of the, the way you would interact with it. And you can then call whatever function you want of that contract. They even have like existing contracts into it. So like the really popular contracts, you can just call, like load up and call any of the functions on there without having to use any proprietary service. It's just, it's access to Ethereum contracts without having to build a front end for them yourselves, which is outstanding. And since you can point, yeah. you can point their front end to any any actual Ethereum blockchain, like say you're running a private blockchain, you can use this to then call contracts of your private blockchain if you're doing development and things like that. That's just, it's, it's free. Do it. Use it. It's great. Yeah. So I, I use what it. I like about my crypto. Yeah. I just went to your beta.mycrypto.com. 10 pages of please don't screw yourself using our service because this is kind of like the internet the way you use it. But this is blockchain. This is kind of different. Here's 10 pages worth of education for you, right? I like it. I don't even think I had to give. Huh? <laughs> Where do you think that doubt comes from? Remember we were talking about earlier in the Slack about how people are ready to jump in, but they, they doubt themselves. If I had the self-confidence to get on my crypto and I see 10 pages of warnings, boom, doubt. Well, what if you understood all those warnings already? How would you, how would you feel if you're like, yeah, I know all this stuff? Well, thing, like Taylor even admitted, like there there might be a better way to educate people, but right now there's not. It's hard. I don't. I don't. It's hard. It's a hard thing to but do. It, but it's informative. You can't force education on people. You can at least make it a barrier. Somebody can skip through this la di da as hard as humanly possible. Look, I'm doing it right now because I've already read this like seven times. Like that Facebook may or may meme not you posted. Have seven wallets, but huh? Like that Facebook meme you posted where that guy was just hitting the keyboard, looking around. Yeah, just going <laughs> down. But all right, enough about our sponsors. Like, there's something that we want to talk about. We've touted this company for very many, many moons now. Um, there's no way around it. They're just like one of those companies that does a lot of good and does a lot of bad. And that just makes it a regular corporation, which in my eyes is just a giant human. That's what a corporation is. What is a lot of bad? Coinbase? Yeah, what's uh, a lot of bad? What's a lot of bad? Keep, okay, that's a good question. Now that you say that. Um, I don't know if they let all their customers know up front that they're just the custodians of their private keys. Right? There's That, that, that kind of disagrees with the core uh, users of crypto. Well... That, can That's, be looked upon as that bad. wasn't their purpose. That wasn't their purpose, in my opinion. Like they they didn't set out to do that. They don't have the ten the ten page click through dialogue of making sure people understand shit, because their number one priority. I mean, they say it's, it's security. They, they say it's security, but it's ease of use. It was making it approachable to people who don't understand things. So they they're not going to have the ten page dialogue. They're just going to make sure it's easy. Okay. And that's, th- one. that's what they're doing Two. with this index fund. Okay, first, let's let's talk about like the news of what what happened. Okay, all right, all right. 
this, here's the news. So I, I shouldn't say, here's my opinion. Now here's the news. <laughs> no, here's, here's the news. And um, Coinbase has an index fund. And what an index fund is, for those of you that don't know, uh, you take a bunch of things and you put it in one and you average it out and then you get a fund, right? Or you weigh it, right? So you've got four different things and the first thing 75% and the rest of the three take that 25% and divvy it up three ways. That'd be a weird way of doing it, but you could do it, right? So they have now an index fund, which basically if you buy this fund, you are now giving exposure to Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and Ether, all one swath. Now, that also entails that you have to be an accredited investor, which means you need to have a million dollars in liquid assets, or you need to have you need to make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a two hundred thousand dollars a year for the last two years of your life. If you if you don't satisfy those conditions, you cannot buy this fund. Um, and that just is what it is. They'll also be the custodians of your private keys using proprietary way to store the private keys. All right, so that's it. That's put on put on your speculation hat. Why do they do this? Okay, let me take off my story news tie and put on my speculation hat. I think they did this because there's a swath of traditional money that can't move legally. I think there's been people that have been doctors for decades and lawyers for decades and business owners, successful business owners, small business owners for decades. And they've got all their their money tied up in the traditional system, but everything in their gut is telling them to tell their broker that they, they want access to crypto, but their broker is doing their broker's due diligence and saying, hey, I know you want to buy this stuff. I can't buy it. You give me – I'm allowed to buy stuff with your money, but I can't legally buy that stuff because that stuff means that – like." You, there's, there's no legal structure around me being able to buy that stuff for you. So Coinbase said, hey, I see there's a need for a lot of people with a lot of money to get exposure to crypto. I'm going to make a legal path for them to be able to do that. That's my speculation. I don't know. I have a different take. All right. What's your take? So I was reading up on weighted index funds, and I think a big problem with weighted index funds is – that as they grow in size, the most owned assets in the basket become increasingly owned. And that skews the price of the most overvalued assets even higher. Now, that's good for Bitcoin's market cap, but it's bad for others. And I think the flip side is that when they're going down, they force down the price of the most owned assets even more than others. And that's bad for Bitcoin's market cap, but it's good for others. So it's a mixed bag. So I think that the largest gains tend to come from the smallest players and these kind of funds tend to do better overall over time. Uh, I don't, I think there's a lot of problems with a market weight index fund. And I think Coinbase should have adopted a, a market agnostic one. So if you own all of the coins, then you meet the basic qualifications equally. Now there's some favoritism. Why not just diversify your own portfolio and just hold? It doesn't make any well, sense. Well, people are going to do that already. It's not like just because I'm not an accredited investor because I'm not making 200 G's a year doesn't mean that uh, I'm not going to diversify my own portfolio. Yeah, but why aren't why why don't they just say like okay, be a part of the fund? It's, it's split 25 percent down the line. We decided to uh, to offer up these assets 
only these four assets out of the you know thousands that are available on our platform. These are part of the index fund. Why not make it twenty five percent, twenty five percent, twenty five percent, twenty five percent? Is it maybe that's a little overkill? But I think Cello at least has like some insight here. Is that like how do they make up this this differentiation between the percentages in which they did the index? Because Bitcoin is heavily outweighing. And I don't think Bitcoin is that far ahead of Ethereum to have that much weight. Um, Did that take other metrics what? into account? Like, What metrics did they take into account to find the indexes, like the percentage breakdown? Should is there this in the show notes? It's 15 pages long. That. I'm not going to go to the you details do of that. it. We should put this in the show notes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to put this in the Slack on air. But you're right. But you're right, though. It's putting a it's, link in the show notes. It's uh, the methodology's like, there. It's just a vehicle for people who don't know what's going on to get access to this market that they see is a potential lucrative investment you vehicle. You've the That's nail on the head, it. my friend. They're just being easy to use again. Why is that surprising? Yeah. Now they're being they're being surprising. easy to use to large money people not easy to use for people who who are just trying to like have an account and figure out how to hold this stuff where do you come up with these labels easy to use for large money people i don't know I, i'm terrible with names so i just they come right off the top oh, of my I head a large money person i want to be a large money person baby <laughs> can you be can you be simultaneously a large money person and a general purpose person at the same time i think a large money person large money I think a large money person is a subset of a general purpose person. I hope that eventually we have like a whole community of people that I've made up. <laughs> Did you just say Paris Hilton? Chill over. Yeah, Paris Hilton would be a large money person, but is also a general purpose person. Yeah, if somebody's a general purpose person, they're like the Swiss Army knife. But inside the Swiss Army knife, you've got screwdrivers. You've got sardine can openers. You've got... Yeah, but none of those tools are actually good tools. Let's be honest well paris hilton is not necessarily a good tool either but a tool she is um i see what you did you were about the index methodologies really is 15 pages yeah i just i just linked it we should put it in the show notes so so you guys listening right now uh, um when you get out of your car go to your computer and click on the link and so you can see this index fund methodology um so you know how they built it. Yeah, don't um, don't now, click on it when you're in your things, car. Don't do that. Yeah, or do, or don't. No, nobody's going to read a methodology paper. I can't like tell you how to live your life. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, Wayne, well, if, if you were a cop though, and like you came on the scene of someone dying in a in a car accident, and you looked at their phone and they were reading the Coinbase methodology PDF on their phone, that'd be pretty interesting. That would be interesting. <laughs> Mm. That this this guy was reading about base values, and he died. Interesting turn there to the podcast. So we have an interview so, today. Yeah. No, gonna say one thing, Corey. You're going to make me look like a crazy person. There's this Aziz Ansari joke where he says he doesn't like checking his phone when he drives because if he ever gets to a car accident and dies, they'll know what he was looking at. Mm. That's powerful. That is kind of powerful. Sometimes... When I'm stuck 
Fucking traffic. I'm usually into looking at email. That's probably I shouldn't have said that, but it's true. Um, I didn't know Wang was spelt with a T. I'm finding this out right now. Who? Wang. Wang. Okay. Waiting is how you spell it, but you just the T is just in there. Unless there's a huge typo in their PDF. What? Waiting. Yeah. You, oh. you make weights. Waiting. It's a weight, not a way. You don't. You don't weigh it. Weighing. They're weights. Oh, weight's a noun, but weighing is the verb. Yeah, just waiting. Oh, there we go. They have different no. weights. I get that, but weigh, like how much does that weigh? Anyways, uh, what I'm saying is looking at just the first five bullet points of the index construction is that they're trying to appeal to people that don't want to think outside the USD because that's tough to do, whether we like to admit it or not. Right? So... Everything in here, like weighted by market capitalization because it is the most objective overall measure, that means that you're only thinking in USD because there's other objective measures of these assets. You're only thinking in USD if you think that's the best way. So, um, I don't know. It is what it is. Now let's uh, move on to the interview, right? Yeah. The interview is brought to you by the good folks at ButcherBox. Uh, I know it might seem like a disconnect. The connection may not be obvious, but the crypto communities tend to be early adopters and new trends. This is kind of a new trend. We love it. Uh, My wife loves the meat. What did you have this week? The meat. I had oh, pork. I, I, I've been eating them steaks, man. <laughs> yeah, we, we gobbled up all the steaks. We're on the pork. Pork was I, I'm thawing it out. He's Come, still on, it out. Come on, D. <laughs> I don't have a grill. I don't have a home like you guys. I have an apartment. I can't just, just grill stuff. You can see right. the filet. You can skillet. Yeah. You, you can cook it up roast. Cook it right, like you a can, true American. You don't. You don't. You don't. That shit. Barbecue rare ground corner. meat. I don't. I'm going for the steak first. All right. And I want the steak, so I'm thawing it out. Take it over to my buddy's house. Slap it on the grill. It's gonna be a good time. Yeah, so uh, I seared the uh, I seared the pork for eight minutes and then I threw it in the oven and it was it was pretty legit. So uh, basically, with butcher boxes, it delivers yeah premium one hundred percent grass fed and finished beef, organic free range chickens and heritage bred pork directly to your door on a monthly basis. Can't stop, won't stop, just keeps coming. Uh, it's quality cuts of meat from farmers who take care of the their animals, treats them humanely, and feeds them a diet they were actually meant to eat. So it tastes really good, and uh, we love them. So go to ButcherBox website and sign up. Unlike what you're used to, this is meat you can't beat. (laughs) You're implying that people, um, people eat shitty food, but not now. We got butcher box because it's not what you're used to. That's not, I mean, that is. That's a good jingle. <laughs> it's a solid jingle. Uh, so, without further ado, we got Jack Tater. You all know who Jack Tater is. No introduction needed. No, I'm kidding. We should introduce Jack Tater. Yeah, he's the co author of Crypto Assets, the innovative investor's guide to Bitcoin and beyond. And um, he is returning to the show. We've had him on before. It was a good conversation. I am confident 
that this book will be studied in college courses in the future. Or at least part of the reading material of a college course in the future, which kind of means studied. But uh, it's a good book. If you've ever thought to yourself, how do I value these things? <laughs> you should read Crypto Assets because it does a good job of outlining how you should value these things. So, um, here's Jack Tater. Here it is. Yeah, so like I was, uh, we were saying behind the scenes, um, we have a great interview today. We're here with our, our old pal, Jack Tater, who was first here late 2016. We had him on because he was a mentor to the Lawnmower Boys, and uh, now he's you know, full-blown, famous co-author of crypto assets. I, and you know what? Maybe I'm, I'm speaking out of turn, but aside from Andreas's book, this might be like the most bought, shared, and discussed book in the industry. It's it's everywhere. And the book does a great job of covering the evolution of crypto assets. It, it covers the good, the bad, the ugly of Bitcoin's history, and it kind of brings us into the present world of decentralized applications. So I, I guess... W- how I wanted to start was uh, we could just dive into it. Like what are kind of the, the merits of crypto assets as an asset class and how do crypto assets differ from just money making schemes? Well, first of all, I, I want to thank you guys for having me back. I really appreciate it. I know it's been a while. And uh, the fact that you compared uh, Chris and my book to Andreas is, uh, is an honor. It's certainly an honor. So, uh, so crypto assets, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting because I think when we, we spoke the last time, everybody was talking about cryptocurrencies and everything was a cryptocurrency, no matter what. And, and it was very important for Chris and I to draw a line and basically say, there's a distinction between these thousand plus uh, assets that are out there, these crypto assets. Some are cryptocurrencies, some are crypto tokens, some are crypto commodities, and so forth. So it was very important for us to draw a line and basically say what we have here is is a new asset class that's composed of these different characteristics of cryptocurrencies, crypto tokens, and crypto commodities. And as such, what we're trying to do is really outline not only the fact that they that they are a new asset class, uh, similar to stocks and bonds, but within the asset class of crypto assets, there is distinctions and there are diversifications uh, among this asset group. And we think it's very, very important for the community to recognize that and also for uh, investors to recognize that as well. That's just... That's just not true. I'm just kidding. Sorry. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed kind of that making that distinction and trying to keep people from, I don't know. There's this, there's this narrative, especially from the uninitiated that a lot of this is just a bunch of Ponzi schemes and people trying to get rich quick, but like there is a real innovation here and we're still trying to put the correct names to it. And you pointed out yourself, like everything was a cryptocurrency. Well, it turns out maybe only a small subsection of these are actual designed to be like a currency. And a lot of these other things are more designed to be more like an asset and and kind of making the distinction or figuring out what the utility of what the thing is that's being built by, you know, the general purpose blockchain is very, very, very important, especially as we start to try to figure out 
how we're supposed to use it. And I think you're going to bleed lines, but you're still going to have real strong distinctions on what the thing is supposed to be being used for and then how we treat it in terms of regulation, taxes, and so on and so forth may be a bit clearer as we put better names to them. Do you, th- like, do you feel like that's a good way of kind of seeing how regulation starts to move from like where it is, this muddy water that it is now into something that's a little more like palpable and approachable from the regulators? Well, I think it's, uh, you know, the, the regulators, let me, let me hold off on the question about the regulators, but I think it's very important for us within the community to really educate others around this. I mean, I remember a year ago when we were talking about um, this and, and I would be interviewed by people and, and they would specifically say cryptocurrencies, cryptocurrencies, which one's going to be a competitor to Bitcoin? Will Bitcoin survive or which one will surpass Bitcoin? And, and the reality is, like you said, they're all different. They, they, they function differently. I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum are not competitors. They do different types of things. And, and it was interesting. I just saw today uh, on some article that uh, the, the dictionary, I guess the Webster dictionary is now putting cryptocurrencies into the dictionary. Well, they got it half right, but they still have to put crypto assets in there. So, so we're still, we still need to move the mainstream towards where we need to take them and where we need to educate them. And that's what we have to do with the regulators and with governments and everything else. We have to continue to educate uh, these people to understand what's going on here. This is not just Bitcoin and, and it's, and it's little siblings. This is a, this is a societal change. This is a, uh, this is a major this is a major disruption upon all the systems that we have here, but we can get our arms around it if we just use the right taxonomy, if we just educate ourselves and we understand what's going on with, with, with these assets. And um, so when, when, people, when people dismiss these, these assets and just call them cryptocurrencies, they, they, they lose the essence of really what's, what is – what is the large picture here? What's the big picture here? And I think it's up to the community to uh, reinforce what's going on in the distinction between all of these asset classes, because this will help the, the regulators to get their arms around it. I mean, I think that, you know, we worry about the regulators and what they're going to do here, but I do think it's a, it's a major need for the community to get in front of the regulators and educate them and let them know what's going on and let them know that when they use the term cryptocurrencies, that's okay, but it's just one part of the picture here. And as we educate the regulators, potentially, we can have them do the right thing here. But uh, it is something that I think the community needs to get involved with because regulation is coming. It is probably a good thing if it's done right. But if it's done wrong, then there should be some blame on us for not educating and not working with the regulators properly. So do you do you think that's where education should be focused right now uh, on, on educating the regulars and educating mainstream media? Uh, because eventually that's going to trickle down to, you know, how users uh, are interacting with these things. And, you know, should we just focus on the regular, because where I'm getting at is like now, even with investing in traditional things, um, there's so many different assets that you can own. It's almost impossible to know everything about all. 
But well, is it more important to focus on who's getting the message out rather than well? Go ahead. Well, let's yeah no let's I mean let's think about let's think about the reality of it. You mentioned you mentioned that our book uh, has been talked about a lot, and and uh, and the reality that we find is there's still not a lot of books and a lot of materials around this space. So there is a need to educate the general public on this for a number of reasons. First of all, um, to educate the investors. We've got so many ICOs that are coming out right now that are that people are jumping on and saying, oh, I've got to put money into this. I've got to go into this. And they don't know what they're doing. So we need to have some resources out there to help these investors to understand where they're putting their hard-earned money. And, and fortunately, there's a lot of websites out there. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot, a lot of guys, great guys on Twitter who are putting things out there. But we need more education. We need more of this material out there to help the regular investor, but also to help. And, and I don't want to stress on the regulators here, but I just know that they're knocking down the door. And as more and more ICOs come along, we're starting to see that the regulators are going to start stepping in with these ICOs. And we've got to be very careful there because the whole ICO market is a great way to raise capital for new innovation. And it shouldn't be stifled, um, but it should be set up in a manner to protect investors. But the big part here is educating people. What you guys are doing with your podcast is great. What other resources are doing is great. But we've got to have more and more of that out there. I mean, what did we see a couple of months ago? What we saw a couple of months ago is people were saying, look, I've got a nephew who's making money in Bitcoin. My, uh, uh, my shoeshine guy said, I got to get into Bitcoin. So everybody <laughs> jumped into Bitcoin, right? Everybody started to invest in Bitcoin and everybody started to say, well, I don't want to pay $19,000 for Bitcoin. Oh, look at this great thing over here called Ripple. It's only $2. It's only a dollar or something. Oh, that's cheap. We can jump in on that. But people don't realize what the business model of Ripple is, nor do they understand how many XRPs are are outstanding. So people jump into it because of the price, but they don't, they didn't do the hard work to understand what is really in the asset. And all of these things went up and they dropped right down. Uh, and a big part of this is education. And I think this is going to be solved over the next few years. We're going to start to see financial service companies have desks and have analysts who are engaged in understanding this and getting this information out there to people. But at this point, there is a little bit of a gap that, uh, that needs to be filled to help not only the regular investors, but a lot of um, a, a lot of the government and regulators to really understand what's what's going on in the space. Well, when it comes when it comes to educating people and the space moves so quickly, how do you go yeah. about without getting bogged down in too many details that change quickly in crypto markets and you start filling in significant knowledge gaps to make uh, you know books like these as evergreen as possible? Well, well for, wanna, for as long as you can. Before you before you answer right. that, I want to kind of I want to want to push on that a little bit more. With some sure. kind of some some clarity, this actually came from one of the one of our listeners wanted to ask you a question, and I'm going to morph it into uh, this conversation right now. Is exactly what Cello just said. Because the space moves so fast, education becomes a very difficult thing to do. Because the moment you come up with terms or a coursework or a book that that explains some type of thing, it it changes rapidly and it almost becomes obsolete, and you may lead people down the wrong road. And, and an example of this is say, <clears throat> in your previous book, you talk about kind of 
trying to estimate the value of, of, of the velocity of money for a given for a given token and using that and taking maybe the transactional volume is taking that as how what the velocity of money is for something is for some for that specific token but as the technology is changing we're starting to see things like stake channel take place where the mm-hmm. core idea is for the majority of the actual transactions to be off chain and settlement become the base layer how does that play into account when you can't necessarily see the total number of transactions that are happening and you still use that metric as the way you evaluate the coin it's you, you see what i mean it's it's gets it's kind oh, of a totally. slippery slope because the technology moves so fast so the moment we come up with an idea it may change like oh absolutely absolutely and it's a great point and and the thing that i i want people to understand and, and chris and i have made this point in in many discussions after the book is we recognize that this is a this is a new technology. This is in its infancy. And what we put out there with crypto assets is not the be all and end all. What we what we wanted to do was to create a foundation for people to grow on and, and come up with. And anybody who knows Chris's work will recognize that Chris has is still trying to address the valuation question. So what was in crypto assets which was something that we had to publish with with uh, restrictions of uh, timing and everything else. We had to get that out at a certain period of time. And uh, believe me, that was one of the most difficult things to do was to try and look at the book and say, where do we draw a line and where do we keep this book evergreen without getting bogged down in details that we're going to say this is going to work forever? And we really couldn't do it. But what we wanted to do was to create a foundation for other people to build upon. And I think that's the important thing for people to understand. Mm. What we did in crypto assets was to really set a base for people to uh, still do the research, still do the work on. And there are things in the book that will probably within two or three years, maybe not, uh, not be the way that you should be viewing things because the technology does change. But our hope is that we created a foundation and we motivated and and uh, provided some inspiration for people and maybe some basis for people to continue the journey to understand how do we value these assets? How do we evaluate an ICO? All those types of things, which prior to us doing it had not been done before. So, um, so it is a challenge to do that. And by all means, we don't view the book as a be all end all, but we do hope that the book at least sets a context and a foundation for people to build upon. And, and we're already seeing that, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. One of the things that if you've been following, uh, Chris's, uh, tweets, and it was something he and I, uh, uh kind of had some discussion about, he actually, he actually came up with a fourth crypto asset, uh, in addition to cryptocurrencies, crypto tokens, and crypto commodities, when you started to see the crypto kitty market and some of the things that oh, are going yeah. on there, his thought was, well, maybe we have crypto collectibles and things like, you know, now we're starting to see with some of the uh, uh, ice skins and some of the things that are going on in gaming and those types of things. So, so there is something that yeah. is continuing to grow but what we wanted to do is to create like i said that foundation for people to build upon it is a very tough thing it is a technology that's in its infancy but we hope that people will continue to work and evolve and uh and grow this whole um uh ability to evaluate this space it's interesting you mentioned that another one of our um another one of our listeners had an idea that 
there's a, a flight to confidence, maybe stable token that exists somewhere in those crypto collectibles so that when the markets do take a downturn like they did at the beginning of this year, um, there's a place to go in crypto and not always going back into fiat um, where Great. you, you can yeah. kind of store your value. Um, it's kind of interesting that Verniski is already creating a, a fourth uh, category for something like that. But uh, that that's Chris. Chris is Chris is far ahead of all of us. Believe me. He yes, is. he is. I follow him on Twitter <laughs> oh, every God. day. I'm like, give me a thread, Chris. Give me a thread. Oh, I, mean, and, <laughs> I need to get and, curious. And when he get when he gives you one, I mean, it's just kind of. I mean, it's 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 mind blowing sometimes. But yeah, that's an interesting point that you bring up about out uh potentially uh something being out there i we may not we may not have seen the asset that's going to survive i mean you know there's so many there's so many uh comparisons to the dot-com era when uh we had dot-com companies like yahoo out there and and it took a while for google and amazon to come along i think we're going to start to we're going to see that we're going to start to see some companies that potentially aren't even out there yet really take over in the crypto space um and it's going to be important for us to evaluate this i mean one of the challenges that we really have here is what we tried to do with the book was to try and evaluate this uh, uh with with financial tools and and historical tools and you can do that where you have data so where we had data from bitcoin we could do that but we didn't have a lot of data with a lot of these other coins now <laughs> as we get more and more data potentially we can start to make some evaluations and and some findings that'll really take us to the next step. So uh, once again, it's going back to trying to put in a discipline and a foundation for people to evaluate these uh, these assets with. Well, Jack, let me ask you, how long will the emergence of a crypto asset as a dominant monetary store of value take? Because when I when I think about it, like gold has been around for millennia so the the mental paradigm shift required might take longer than 10 years and never occur fully but on the other hand we and Dimitrik likes to use this example all the time we rode horses for transportation for a millennia but we moved on pretty quick when the car came along financial markets they they tend to discount the future as soon as there's consensus about it so in your opinion if if bitcoin were to become and i'll use that as an example if bitcoin were to become the dominant monetary store of value crypto asset what year are we living in is it soonish is it 10 years from now what do you think let's 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 think about that let's 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 think potentially what could happen to expedite that if to, if tomorrow amazon said we're going to accept bitcoin would we be closer to that point um i you know i i think we would be um I think yes. if yes if the financial markets if the financial markets start to say, you know what, we're going to start having our advisors talk to clients about Bitcoin. Um, we're going to start putting this into asset allocation models um, because there are now some Bitcoin ETFs, some some crypto mutual funds out there. People a little more educated about it. Will that will that move it along? I think it would move it along. So I I, th I don't think we're that far away. To be the dominant monetary system, I, I I don't know. I don't know if Bitcoin will supplant fiat, but I think we have to recognize that Bitcoin can be a very convenient way for people to make payments, certainly worldwide, 
So there will be a place for it. Will it do away with dollars? I don't know. But I do think that people will learn a lot of lessons from the way that Bitcoin works, the way the blockchain works, that'll integrate itself into the financial systems. And I don't think we're that far away from it. And, and that type of stuff could be expedited by, I think, those things, by where we have a major force like Amazon stepping up and saying, mm -hmm. we're accepting it. And by the financial market saying, you know what? We, we give up, we surrender. Bitcoin is a valid asset and everyone should have it in their portfolio. You know, then things change, then everything changes. And, and do you, and I don't think we're that far away from it. If you had thought about that a year ago, I think people would have been like, Oh no, 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 we're, we're miles away from that. I don't think we're that far away from it. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens in the next few months. It could even happen tomorrow that Amazon says we're going to take Bitcoin. Who knows? I got, I got excited um, about three months back. It was like it was less than three months. It was actually like uh, I'd say it's six to eight weeks when I saw that um, there was the three thousand tons of wheat that was paid for with Bitcoin. I think once those major major uh, commerce transactions are starting to be made, we're kind of turning the corner on that stuff. So yeah, that was, that's, yeah. that's my bold prediction. But well, I will. I will tell you, I've been over to the Far East and you go over to the Far East. I mean, you know, we're here in the United States and we kind of, you know, we, we have a little bit of tunnel vision about how things work. You go over to the Far East. Bitcoin is being used very, very widely. You, you talk to people about casinos out in uh, the Far East. People come in with Bitcoin and and I'm not saying that they're laundering money here, but they found a use for Bitcoin. Um, but people are using Bitcoin for money, not, not only with casinos, but with um, regular transactions and some large scale transactions. And a lot of that is being done uh, over in the Far East and in other countries. So mm -hmm. we lose sight of this sometimes when we're here in the States and we, and you know, we get pushed back from the Jamie diamonds and, and the Warren Buffetts and everything else uh, who call it a, a, a fraud and a fad, but over in the other countries, it is really making inroads to being used as a, as a new monetary tool. So uh, we can't lose sight of the fact that this is a worldwide phenomenon um, and, and it's making some impacts uh, in other parts of the country that we may not see on a regular basis. Thinking, thinking a little more broadly, oh, yeah. I want to like maybe take this to like a, like a, a weird speculatory place in that because we have this weird um, litigation-based, high, highly regulatory um, environment here in America, do you see a, a, as this whole thing grows to something that's much larger than on a, on a worldwide scale that we start to lose a lot of the dominance because the money's flowing through all of these assets? I, I think potentially we can do that. I think potentially that can happen. And I, and I think that is probably the reason why you haven't seen our government step up and just outright ban this or step in and say, you know, we've got to stop this in its tracks because it realizes that this is a worldwide uh, phenomenon, that this is something that's being done worldwide. And if we, if we don't do it here, we will lose the innovation that goes along with that. And I think, and I think the government recognizes that. Um, mm -hmm. So, so we, th th that's one reason why they're not, they're not shutting it off here. I mean, this is, this is just a, a fascinating space. One of the things 
said, I'm most excited about, and, you know, talk about something that is way down the road. Uh, one of the things that I'm excited about is how potentially the blockchain and crypto assets could change the way that we view governments today. I don't know if you're familiar out there with uh, Estonia, a country like Estonia, um, that basically was able to rebuild itself from scratch. And they now have this e-residency system where you can actually become an e-resident of Estonia and you can actually buy government services from that, mm -hmm. from their government with, with crypto. I mean, can you imagine if we had a world where people said, you know what, I want to get my health care from Sweden. I want to get my marriage license from uh, Europe, from from England. I or I want to do my title insurance from Spain or something like that. So you would actually have governments and government uh, services competing against each other. You could do that type of thing with the blockchain, mm -hmm. and you can do that type of thing with crypto assets. It becomes a very, very exciting and very disruptive situation that I think. Uh, that I think all governments are going to have to deal with at some point. But it is that is a very exciting part of it. And yes, that may be very much down the road, but it's still within the sites yeah. when you understand what's going on with this technology. I, I for one, you know, to take it back, to tie that into Cello's question about um, the, the growth and the model of the growth and how fast can it possibly be, I think the thing that makes crypto um, – Crypto assets uniquely different than like the car or or the, the the airplane or the computer, the personal computer, is there's that huge geopolitical um, aspect when it comes to money, and that is kind of where the model breaks down. Like if this were following a traditional technology adoption curve, then like you said, Jack, it could happen overnight. It could be like a six-month time frame, and then the whole world's using crypto. I think the huge geopolitical aspect of money um, and the, maybe a situation just like you said is when the model kind of breaks down, like where governments have competing services with each other. I mean, what what's a state line when that's happening? Right? Well, you know, so. yeah, no, it, it's a it's a valid point, but – you know, just to play the other side of it, I mean, maybe we, maybe we're giving, maybe we're giving the existing financial systems too much credit. You know, they're um, they're embedded in 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 what we know today. They're embedded in all of our systems today. But are they the best systems that are out there? And 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 ultimately, are we in a world that uh, is looking for the best way to do things? or not looking for the best way to do things. I mean, you know, I, people could have thought, uh, well, we would have, we would have never had something like Uber with, uh, with cabs out there. That would have never happened. Or we would have never had a world where private companies would be, uh, would be shooting uh, rocket ships into space. And we'd be talking about that. Uh, you know, I, I think that, and, and let's remember 2008, 2008, this system, and 2008 was also the year that Bitcoin was created and when Satoshi uh, released this. And, and if, if you've read the book, you know that we draw some parallels to the creation of Bitcoin with the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, but in 2008, this whole system came very close to collapsing because of mm -hmm. its own its own doing. So, uh, you know, maybe we give this system too much credit. And and potentially we give 
uh, are people less credit to recognize what works and what doesn't work. And uh, I'm not saying it's going to be easy for us to break down the existing financial systems, but I do think that we're starting to see some cracks in the system. And and I mean, just the other day, the banks, Bank of America, basically is 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 hoisting up the white flag, saying, you know, Bitcoin can be competition to us. And does that mean that they're going to go out and they're going to destroy Bitcoin, or they're going to try and figure out? how to work with it and make it work for themselves. I don't know. I don't know. I would tend to believe they're not going to go out and try and destroy that because I don't think they can do that. So I think these companies will have to recognize uh, the elephant in the room, which is Bitcoin and the blockchain and all of those types of things. So it won't happen tomorrow, but I do think you're seeing cracks in the system where uh, where we will have a different monetary system in, in five to 10 years than we have today. You know, I think playing playing off of that, uh, something that's that's novel in a lot of what um, open blockchain networks offer that has never been available in the past is this because it is trustless. It offers this idea of, I guess, the term that is used often is coopetition, where you have a lot of people who are working together, even though they're still, um, I wouldn't say enemies or against each other, but they're not necessarily. Um, 100% trustful of each other. They can work in the same place and, and, and through kind of competing with each other, boost the overall social good of the entire community. And that's not something that's been available in the past without relying or, or trusting some intermediary or each other in a way that wouldn't really be efficient for business. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's think, it's, it's a great point. I mean, let's think about when we've gone to war, why have we gone to war? We've gone to war many times. I, you know, there's obviously reasons why we've gone to war when, you know, the bad guys do bad things, but there's also been times when people say we have to protect our economic interests. Um, and, and I think what we may find is we may find that the people who we consider our enemy aren't really our enemies and, and that potentially our economic interests can be solved together. And the way that we can solve them together is with blockchain technology. Uh, so, I, you know, I think you make a good point. I think the fact that this is a trustless system, this is a system that can work across the globe. This is a system where where there's no central authority. Everyone can get engaged. Everyone can benefit from this. It could essentially change the way we view those borders and, and those economic interests uh, amongst the different countries. And, um, and maybe the economic interests, the lines between economic interests aren't so uh, firm and so drawn as they've been in the past when you now have a world that's, uh, uh, that's using the blockchain. Hmm. I hope so. That would be very exciting for everyone who tunes well, into I, the show, I'm sure. Um, right. Well, I, <laughs> I leave it. I leave it. I leave it for your generation, because uh, as you guys know, I'm a little bit older than you guys. You know, we probably screwed things up, but I have a lot of faith in the um, in the younger generations who are coming up with this, and and not being uh, and not have to endure a lot of the uh, the status quo that that we had to deal with and and the distinctions that there are that uh, that existed, and potentially the blockchain can be a way for people to work closer together and. And bring some real stability and some peace to the uh, to the world. I got a question. Um, I've I've read your book. Um, you and you and Chris's book. I'm going. I'm. This is my second time through it now. 
and I really wanted to focus on the chapter where you're defining crypto assets uh, as a new asset class, uh, because I think that's going to be a defining chapter here in the next three to five years. People will look at it and say, like, wow, they were on something. But I have um, – so there's a, there's a section here where you kind of bucket these assets into two categories. You have the young crypto asset and the mature crypto asset, and then they're also composed of utility value and speculative value. Mm-hmm. But do you think there's an option for third, right, like a third that's even more mature – that has core speculative value. And the only reason I say that and why that I think that makes sense is because if you look at gold, there's core speculators in that market. Like they're, they're never going to sell their gold. They may not even be using it, but they're just never going to sell it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like Peter, Peter Schiff is his name. I think is his name. So I think I'd like in myself to that for Bitcoin. Like I'm, I'm never gonna sell my Bitcoin. You're, you're a, yeah. You're a hodler. You're a hodler. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, yeah. I think, I think, I think there's a lot of people out there who are like that, and I do, and I do think that that has an impact on the pricing uh, in there. So I think it's, I think it's a very, very, it's a very valid point because typically when you look at an asset. You're saying that someone's buying and someone's selling. Someone uh, sees some short-term uh, benefits, and you know when a stock goes up, you know 20%, you should sell, and when it comes down 10%, you should sell. There's the, there's these rules in there. But all of a sudden, with with crypto, what we see is we see the rules are different. We can weather a 50% drop, and and we can grow. We can get used to a 100% gain, and and through both of those things, we're not going to sell because we believe in this. We believe in this technology. And, and, and this goes further than just profit motive. And, and that is a major difference, I think, between, between Bitcoin and stocks and bonds. Stocks and bonds are out there for long-term and short-term gains and those types of things. And there's rules to it. Now, there's always going to be people that buy and hold, you know, buy and hold. So, you know, the people that owned GE for, you know, 30, 40 years, and many of them were rich. Well, now they're not doing too well. But, you know, there's there's the buy and hold type of thinking. But I do believe in Bitcoin, it forms more of a basis for the valuation. So I think that's a very interesting point you made. About the speculative and the utility value, I think those are two very important things to consider not only for Bitcoin, and, and, I, and I do like that third class with Bitcoin, but let's think about some of the young assets that are coming along. You're going to have new assets that are going to come out, new uh, cryptos that are going to come out, and they're going to shoot up based on speculative value. All right, a new ICO comes out, it shoots up. At some point in time, it has to prove to the market that it has utility value. If it doesn't prove to the market that it has utility value, it's going to drop. It's going to drop substantially. And this is when we're going to see a lot of these ICOs really potentially go down to zero. But if they do show utility value, they'll increase. And you'll start to see the price of these assets will become more based upon their utility value than their speculative value. So so I think that whole breakdown that we do with speculative and utility value and and Chris did a very a great post about the crypto J curve that actually goes more into that. Those things actually mirror a lot of things that happened during the dot com era. 
that we saw with Amazon. Amazon was the same way. Amazon came out and people were like, wow, we got Amazon's great. Amazon's great. And it shot up. And then all of a sudden people were like, wait a minute, they're selling books. That's all. And it, and it got knocked down. Well, then people realized, no, it was for more than books. So it's utility value shot up. So these are important things to take a look at. Um, and, but to your point, now you add in that third piece of it, which is the fact that you're going to have people that are just going to buy and hold. And, and let's think about who these people are. These people are young investors like yourself. Okay. Who can potentially say, you know what? I, I've made, I've made X on this. I sold the money I put in the rest of it. I'm just going to let it fly. I'm just going to let it go. And there's a long time frame because you're a young investor. So, so that could potentially be a third piece to the valuation. So I think that's, I think that's a good insight that you, that you brought up. I have to, uh, I have to stress this, this point you made on, on utility. This is something that I, I harp on massively and a lot of people, and uh, especially when trying to think of the current state of things right now, the price is almost fully propped up on speculative value where utility just isn't there because the underlying technology doesn't scale to where it needs to be to get to the point of what we all say this thing is going to do eventually. And until then, it's going to continue to be propped up by speculation, which is inherently susceptible to manipulation and price volatility due to FOMO and people's you know greed and, and fear and so on and so forth. And until the actual technology gets to a point where it can scale, utility simply can't be there because we can't use it how these things are supposed to be used. And that tells us, that tells us a lot about where we are in comparison to where we plan to be and what this stuff is capable of, which should also give investors a really good idea on kind of how to, like one, how volatile and dangerous these markets are, but the potential is, is ridiculously massive. So maybe putting a portion that you're willing to lose or a smaller portion of your entire portfolio is more aligned with investment strategies than taking out second mortgage, mortgages because you think this thing's going to boom overnight. Well, first of all, the whole the whole aspect of people going out and borrowing money and put taking second mortgages to buy Bitcoin to me to in any market, no matter what you have, that is a sign of a top. Okay, and and we saw that, and we saw that that type of thing happen. So that's you know that that was a good thing to happen. That was a good thing to show people. Um, but let's let's come back to your point um, that you made about. Um, the utility value. Obviously, there's some issues right now with Bitcoin uh, and transaction speed and all of these other types of things that are out there. Uh, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, we, we had some major players in, in, the, uh, in the industry kind of really step up and say that Bitcoin is no longer, should, not, should no longer be considered a currency. It's a store of value because its speed isn't there, its transaction isn't there, and, and all of those other types of things. Um, so I think that there is some work to be done there uh, in terms of, of this being more widely used on a utility basis as a currency. That being said, I do think we'll get to the point where somebody will figure that out and somebody will do that and somebody will do that with Bitcoin. And I think they'll do it with Bitcoin, not with a Bitcoin cash, not with something else, but with Bitcoin. Somebody will figure it out uh, and 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 make this into the currency that we all thought it was. But right now it's not. But let me come back to this, this third aspect of valuation that you mentioned, which is the hodlers. You still have people there 
uh, and investors who will just hold on to Bitcoin um, no matter what. No matter what, if it if it um, if it doesn't do the transactions, if it doesn't have the utility value um, that we want it to have today, it doesn't matter. There is a belief that somewhere down the road it will, and and somewhere down the road it will be that million dollars, that hundred thousand dollars, that whatever John McAvee has predicted uh, uh. it will be before he does before he does some foul thing to his own body. Um, but we, we kind of believe that. So that props it up as well. Um, but I do think it's a very fair point to always look at, not just for Bitcoin, but for all these other assets, really where's the utility value and recognize where the shortcomings are and where maybe we have some expectations that are a little bit more optimistic than they should be. Um, so I, I think it's a fair point. I think. I think that we're we're seeing we're seeing um, Bitcoin kind of find its place right now. It had that shoot up, and right now it's 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 um, it's kind of trying to find its place. Um, but I do think that a lot of people are stepping away from recognizing it as the currency that we thought it was going to be because of a lot of these shortcomings that are out there. Mm-hmm. That's. So it's fallen short of the old uh, medium of exchange definition. Um, I think it'll get there. I think it just but it's time. right. It's still and 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 recognize the other part of it, the store of value uh, aspect of it. I mean, it, that's probably worth looking at. You know, the whole store of value concept of Bitcoin is always something we fall back on. Oh, it's a store of value. So, well, what does that really mean? What what does what does that mean? Does that mean that that all of the other assets that are out there will be priced to it? Um, you know, I, I think we have to take a look at this whole store of value discussion as well and really see how valid that is um, as well, because that's the other side of what people point at and say, you know, this is the reason that Bitcoin is going to hit 50,000 because it's going to be a store of value for all of these other assets. Maybe. I don't know. Well, with that being said, we got one question. I think you've probably answered this before. You're gonna get a second shot at answering it. Uh, <laughs> it's our uh, it's our uh, trademark question. No, I'm kidding. We have we should trademark this question in ten words or less. Can you describe Bitcoin, or should we say blockchain? What do you guys think? Bitcoin. Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, he's got an answer ready to go. No, I don't. Okay. I don't. I should have oh. remembered. You know, I should have remembered <laughs> that you guys asked this this question. And as you probably recognize, I, I'm not a I'm not a guy of few words. So for me to get down to ten words uh, is uh, is not easy. So uh, so what is Bitcoin? Um, I, let's see. I would say that I, I would say that what I would say about Bitcoin today is it is a disruptive factor that will within the next five years be in everyone's investment portfolio. Coming in just shy of 15 words. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't get the 10 words, right? I had to get that disruptive in there. I couldn't get it. Uh, but I do, I do believe, I do believe that people, that people will, this will be the kind of thing where people will be like, what? I have Bitcoin in my portfolio? Yes, this mutual fund yeah. has it in, in there. And, uh, uh, and once we get to that point, 
uh, then I think, you know, it's, uh, we're off to the races with this technology. And I think we're going to get there within five years. Nice. Well, I don't know what happened in 2017, but it was a taterless year for us, and that's unacceptable because you know we love you, <laughs> and you got to come by more often. I I love you guys too. I love you guys, and as long as I'm as long as I'm still around and and not fully retired and uh, and still uh, living in the states, I'd be very happy to be involved. I don't know how the hell we we didn't get involved in 2017. That was such a big year. I think that's why. Such a well, big year, you know. You guys, you guys were there for me when I was writing the book, so I appreciate that, and I and I really thank you for that. <laughs>